Yes, Jesus, the shepherd. You give life, Lord. You came, Jesus, so that we can have life. Yes, we worship your holy name. We worship your holy name. You give life, you are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great Lord. You give life. You give life. You are love. You bring light. Every heart that is broken, yes, great are you, Lord, great are you, Lord, it's in great are Lord, great are you, Lord, great are you, Lord, great.
Can you just feel the breath of God in this place? Experiencing His breath poured out upon us. It's life-giving. And it's responsive. We sing, we'll sing like never before. Oh my soul, I will worship your holy name. It's your breath in our lungs as we pour out our praise to you. Pour out your praise, pour out your worship unto the King. If you wanna clap your hands, pour it out. If you wanna sing, pour it out. If you wanna kneel, pour it out. If you wanna dance in these spaces here, pour it out. But pour out worship unto the King. Pour out worship unto the Lord. Pour out worship to the One who has done it all for us. Would you just pour it out as an offering to say, Lord, who is like you? Who is like you, O God and King? Would you just pour it out upon him? He is worthy. He is worthy. 
moment pass you by whatever you are facing will you worship with us will you speak Jesus speak Jesus over whatever you are facing because he is the hope he is the life he is freedom
church, will you shout with me, Jesus? Will you shout, Jesus, from the mountains? Will you shout it in the streets? Let's be the light. Let the Holy Spirit and the light of God shine through us as we walk these streets of South Africa. And let's speak, Jesus. And let's shout. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Yes, Lord, we declare it. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness, over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Yes, Lord, you are our King, and we are so thankful for that, that we can come before you and worship you, submit our lives to you, and be with you in this moment. I thank you, Father, for every home, every space where any person is joining us this morning, and I trust that your presence will be with us and that your grace will be poured out upon us in Jesus' name, and we thank you for that. Amen. So last week, we started our series on identity, and we're talking about how we identify uh, as people and our self-identity, our personal identity. 
And uh, last week we spoke about that it matters, that what we think of ourselves matters. And the Bible has a lot to say about how we create a sense of identity or have a sense of identity. And that it's not something we can play with or brush aside or, or just do anything we want to with it. Because if we get it wrong, it'll harm us. And if we use the wrong markers, it could actually destroy us. And so therefore we want to make sure that we're getting identity and what, what identity is right. So today we want to jump in and we want to go into what does God see when he sees us? What did God intend for humans to be and for us to be? So, um, so that we can have a, a proper framework about where we can build our identity on, on that basis and, and fit our identity and how we see ourselves and and, and when our little voice speaks to ourselves and tells us who we are, that we can make sure it is in line with what Scripture teaches us is God's intent for every single one of us. So the title of today's message is, What is Mankind? And it really comes from Psalm 8. And in Psalm 8 verse 4 we read, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Such an important question. What is mankind? And when I use the word mankind, I use it as the old English language used it, which is a neutral term in terms of gender and that it covers all of humanity. Uh, it's not mankind, it's mankind. So it, it refers to all of us, every, every human being. And it's a great question, isn't it, that the psalmist asks you, what is mankind? And I think that's just a key question. When we come to this issue of identity, we, we know, first of all, that we fit into this group that is called humans. And there's something unique, something, dare I say, special about humans. And um, so when we look at ourselves, we need to have that firm understanding, that basic understanding, so that we don't mistreat ourselves or abuse ourselves or set the wrong expectations on us because we don't understand who we really are. And you know, it's so easy in life to, to get it wrong when it comes to seeing something and understanding what it really is and therefore how much it has to be valued. It, it's like this lady, Deborah Goddard, that in the 1980s went to like a flea market kind of place and, and she was looking for some costume jewelry and she bought this ring for like $13 or something in the day. Um, and uh, after about 30 years, she needed to raise some catch, cash catch cash. And so she went looking through her jewelry and, and selected some items that she was going to sell. And she thought, well, to get them sold, I want to appraise them so that I can get the right amount of money. So she took this ring along with other items to a local jeweler. And lo and behold, they discovered uh, that, that it actually was a 24 carat diamond that she purchased. And its value was not $13, $600,000. So she completely got it wrong in terms of knowing what something was and the value of it. It's like the, the, the fisherman in Palawan, Philippines, that one day as he was uh, busy with fishing and he, he, he found a, a white rock and he, and he thought this was an amazing, beautiful rock and he took it home with him and he put it under his bed as a lucky charm. And it stayed there for 10 years. He had this lucky charm under his bed. And so it had some value for him, you know, as a lucky charm. Only after 10 years when he was needing to leave home for a period of time and he took this rock to his aunt and asked her if she would just look after it while he's away, that she recognized that there's something different about this rock, that this rock is special. And, and so she uh, got encouraged him to have it looked at. And then they discovered that it wasn't a rock, it was a pearl. And guess what the value of this pearl was? $100 million that they discovered this. So for 10 years, he's been sleeping on $100 million, treating it as a lucky charm because he completely got the value 
of it wrong and misunderstood what it really was. And so it is for me important that when we come to looking at us collectively as humankind, as mankind, what are we looking at? What is our value? Because if we misjudge it and get it wrong, we will set the wrong expectations on mankind. We will look at mankind from the wrong angle um, and just have a complete misconception, even when ourselves. So when I think of myself, what am I thinking of? Uh, what, what is my view? And last week we spoke about that where the scripture says that we must have an appropriate view of ourselves. Not think of ourselves uh, highly than, too highly than we ought to think or not to think of ourselves too lowly also, but have an appropriate view of ourselves. What does that mean? And, and I think a lot of that is by understanding what is it that God made when he made humans and what he had in mind. So let's come back to this question. What is mankind? What is mankind? And I think there's, in general, I think there's a lot of subcategories to this and perhaps even some other classifications. But in general, there are sort of two views that people have about mankind and what mankind is. One is the view that says we are like animals. We are classified as a mammal because of certain biological traits we have. And therefore, when you look at a man, you're looking at an animal. And then there's a view that describes us as something more like God, not God but like God, that has a, having more characteristics that is like God. Now, which one is true? And I think that you will agree with me that it matters when you look at mankind. What are you looking at? Are you looking at something that's like an animal? Because if you're looking at something that's like an animal, then you expect of it animal behavior. Then you expect of it to be something that's an animal. And I know sometimes we as people, you know, we, have, we do things, and it's even common in our language, that we'll refer to somebody as a, as a pig or, we'll, you know, or, or, or a sloth or something, some animal name that we'll give to somebody because it, they, they share that characteristic or, or it's become sort of our parlance and our, our language that we use that uh, because we're saying that behavior reminds us of something like an animal. But is it true? Is man just merely an animal? And therefore, we shouldn't really expect much more of men. We shouldn't really expect that they, that they rise above any, um, any, any sense of nature and their natural desires and natural behaviors. And, and you know, it's, it's in philosophy this idea that, that the more you just allow man to be himself, he'll discover who he really is, his animal instincts, his, his nature, his sort of this bohemian ideal of a, of a human being that is left unaffected un, uh, and uninfluenced by society and culture and religion to really discover who they are by living true to their natural instincts. And, and is that really who man is? is? Is that really, you know, should we settle for for just men acting like animals and just giving in to their desires. And, and, you know, because we think man is just a product of natural selection and therefore what you see is what you get. You can't really expect more of men. You, you really can't uh, ask them to be wholly different than what they are. Um, is that really the truth? Well, that's not what Scripture says. When Scripture looks at us, it gives a different viewpoint. Scripture says again that, that we are more like God. And we get that from this scripture in Genesis 1, right there at the beginning. When God created man, he tells us what he was creating, what his intentions were, and, and what he classified and categorized man as. And so it says in Genesis 1 verse 27, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. 
So right here, we off the bat, we understand that God looked at himself, if I can say it like that, considered himself and reproduced some of himself into mankind. And when he made man, he made man as a reflection of who he is, as in his image, the scripture says. He, we are made to look like God. God created everything in the universe. God created all the galaxies and everything that is within it. He created every living thing. He created every inanimate thing. He created. But it is only of mankind that he said this. Man was made in his image to look like him, to reflect him, to represent him. We are made in the image of God because he desired that to be so. He in his wisdom, desired that somebody, some other being other than him, shared some of his traits with him. And, and we understand that that was so that he could have a relationship with us. So that's why the scripture uses this picture of a father and children. Because a father and children has this unique relationship where children share some of the characteristics and the traits of a parent. And so it is that God made us as a parent. He reproduced himself in us, some of it. We're not completely like him. We are not gods. The scripture doesn't tell us we are gods. It says we were like God. We were made in his image. So are we like animals? The scripture says no. We are more than that. Yes, in our biology, there may be certain things, traits that we share with animals and classifications that we have with animals. But in, our, in who we are, in our being, we are more than just animals. There's something more that God has invested in us. It's that for that reason, for instance, that in Exodus 20 verse 4, the, the commandment is given, which says you must make for yourself no idol. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens, on the earth, or in the sea. We're not allowed to make any other image of God to worship that. And that's what we spoke about last week with, with idols. And when you make an idol of something you, you, and, and you begin to worship that, you put something above yourself and you cannot aspire to more than that thing. Another reason why it is because God already made something in his image to represent him. And that's us as humankind. We are the only ones endowed with that right and that privilege to represent him. No animal can represent God. No rock can represent God. No structure can represent God. No, no, no made edifice or anything of creation can represent God other than we represent God. You can see some of God's handiwork. You can recognize God's craftsmanship in what he created, but it didn't represent him and wasn't made in his image like we were. Uh, being made in the image of God is not something that we that is like a like a, a capacity or or, a, or a, 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 a some quality that we have in terms of a, um, a a condition that we just have you know some characteristic. It's who we are. We are made in the image of God. It is intrinsically part of us. Every human being is intrinsically made in the image of God. And it, it is part of us. You cannot take it away from us. It is not so much something that man has, but it is something that we are, that, that humankind is. It, it, we don't just have a quality that looks like God. We are made in the image of God. We are created to be a graphic image of the creator 
a, a formal, visible, and understandable representation of who God is and what he is really like. And for today's message, I just want to give recognition to uh, one of the books that I used quite a bit for the structure of today's message. is a book entitled Classic Arminianism. The Theology of Salvation by F. Leroy, Leroy Fourlines, and are very helpful in this discussion. And um, when we talk about being made in the image of God, one of the terms we use is the imago deo, dei. The imago dei is the, is the quality that we possess as man. It's not a condition in which we live. It is, a, it is the reality of who we are, is that we are made in the Creator's image um, because God loves us and he made us that way. So can you see that when the scripture right from the onset talks about mankind, it elevates mankind to a, a, a place, a unique position, a special place for a specific reason. Because God created us to represent him and to be made in his image. But we know that everything is not the way it's supposed to be anymore. That right now, when you look at mankind we so often are disappointed because of the failure, because of the sin, because of the brokenness, because of the harm that we cause ourselves, that we cause each other, that we cause creation, that we cause this planet. So much harm that we do. I don't think it's, it's difficult for any person to recognize that there's something not quite right with mankind, that all is not well, that everything is not the way it's supposed to be. So have we lost the image of God. When we look at a man today or a woman today, do you still see something of the image of God? Or is that lost? Is that gone? What we believe the scripture teaches us is that we will always carry within us the, the image of God, even though it is now been um, disturbed and it is now no longer the perfect representation of that. In James 3 verse 9, for instance, we read the following. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And it's referring to the tongue and how we use the tongue. And it, it right here describes the problem that with our tongue that was given to us by God to be, the, to be the expression of how he made us and who he made us, with that very tongue, we can choose to either elevate and praise God and speak beauty and speak wonder and, and do that which we were created to do, or with that tongue, we can actually be abusive. We can break down, we can destroy, we can belittle others. And it says this, this is the challenge of mankind. And we belittle those who are made in the likeness of God. Man's fall into sin didn't destroy or remove the image of God, it disfigured it. So when you look at a man or a human being today, and when you look at mankind Today, you don't see the perfect representation any longer of the image of God, but it is still there. It is still there. It's just been disfigured. It's been abused. It's been brought into different places. And that's the challenge we have today, is that while we look at mankind and we have to be so honest and realistic about the failures of mankind, we must remember that mankind was made in the image of God. And that's where man's value comes from. That's where man's intrinsic value comes from. That's what will always separate man from the rest of creation and, and, and put a higher value, a higher price tag on mankind. Not that God doesn't value the rest of creation. Not that we should think, therefore, we can do what we want. 
Not that we should think we can abuse creation and the rest of creation doesn't matter. And I know sometimes people, when we talk about this, like where man is more special, they get concerned because they think we're saying that therefore man can, can just harm uh, nature and, and, and kill animals and animals made animals extinct and we can do with the planet what we want. No, we, exactly we can't. But the reason that we can do better with the planet, for instance, that we can do better with the way we treat one another, that the way we can do better in our religion and how we serve God is because we have been given this capacity by God to do better because we're made in His image. The reason you can talk to us about doing better with the planet at this point in time is because we were made in the image of God. We didn't just evolve. We're not abusing the planet just now because, because that's the natural order of things. We have deviated from the plan. We, we have disfigured what God had in mind initially. And we've used our power not in the way we were supposed to. But that's because God gave us that power, gave us that authority and put that within us. Wayne Grudem, the theologian, describes in his systematic theology at the following way. Since man has sinned, he's certainly not as fully like God as he was before. His moral purity has been lost and, and, and his sinful character certainly does not reflect God's holiness. His intellect is corrupted by falsehood and misunderstanding. His speech no longer continues to glorify to God. His relationships are often governed by selfishness rather than love and so forth. Though man is still in the image of God in every aspect of life, some parts of that image have been distorted or lost. That's important for us to know. So that when you and I look at mankind today and we see all the horrible things, that we see all the, 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 the evil that man perpetrates, that we're looking at somebody and something and we say, we can have a different expectation of mankind. This is not what man is supposed to be. And that when we work, that, then we, that when we come and we approach mankind, we say we can be better, we're supposed to be better. We put a higher expectation, a different expectation on mankind. We don't give up on mankind. I know for some people the answer to the woes of our planet is if we can just get rid of mankind and allow nature to, to look after itself, then it will reset and it will be better off. Now, that may be true, like we saw at Chernobyl, you know, where there haven't been people for, you know, since the 80s. And now suddenly it's looking so wonderful, that area, and wild animals have moved in again. But that wasn't God's intent. We must not give up on mankind. And God certainly did not give up on mankind. God certainly didn't disown us and say, it's finished with us. He actually said, you know, we are the hope of the world. It's through us. And that remains. So mankind, in God's estimation, is held in high regard. And he sets high expectations on us. He asks much of us. Now, let's break down a little bit further what it means to be made in God's image. And, and there's two main things that we want to highlight that, that we share with God. That puts us in that space of being like God when we talk about his image. And these two things are this, that man is rational and that man is moral. That man is rational, man has a capacity for reason, and man is moral. Man has a capacity to do right or to do wrong. And man has the capacity to decide how he lives. Those two things are very important. And the scripture describes them for us. Some of the scripture, one of the scripture references that tells us about man's rationality is in Colossians 3 verse 10. 
and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. We were given the ability to know things, to have reason, to think about things. Now, if God created us and he wanted to have a relationship with us, but he didn't give us the ability to know, then we wouldn't have known him. Then it would defeat the purpose. But he made us and he gave us this ability that he has. He, he shared that ability with us. Not to the capacity that he has it, but we also have a capacity for reason. And a capacity to, to think, to learn, to, to apply our minds, to ask questions, to gather information, and to develop new things, to, 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 you know, to discover things, and to also initiate things, to invent things. God gave us that ability because he gave us the ability to reason. Um, we don't become rational by being educated. Because we are rational beings, we can be educated. We can learn because God gave us the capacity for learning. And that is, is right, very much important part of us. Um, it is possible for us to think and to reason. We are amazed at what humankind can achieve with their minds. And what they, if they put their minds to it. And what they can achieve with their reason. Um, and God gave us this capacity. God gave us the capacity to ask serious questions in life. Like, is there a God? And if there is a God, who is he? And we can ask the questions of, um, do I exist? And am I, you know, how do I know that I exist? And I can ask the questions of, of where do we come from? And I can ask the questions of where we're going. And I can ask the questions of, of you know, um, what is right and what is wrong. And we do this as humankind. I mean, like somebody said, you don't find a group of monkeys or, or baboons even or gorillas sitting around in a circle having discussions about the meaning of life. That, because that's uniquely human. We have that capacity to reason to that level and to investigate and to struggle uh, and to come to knowledge and to come to understanding about things. And that's amazing that God gave us that ability. And, and we mustn't just think of that as a mind ability. That's a, a being ability. Our, our, our brain, as in the, the physical entity of our brain, certainly is a lot of where our thinking seated. But science is actually showing more and more how connected our whole body is to our reasoning ability and our processing of information and our ability to know things. And that's why, for instance, when, when a person has a transplant, it affects their knowing. Um, and so we're more than just a brain. And I know there's lots of people that think, you know, you can take a human mind and just put it in a machine and, and then you'll have some amazing thing. Like, or like AI can replace us because it can replace our minds. No, we are more than machines. We are more than robots. There's something God-like reflected in us in the ability to interact with our environment and to know and to learn. But not only are we reasonable or rational, and have the capacity for that. We also have the capacity for morality. And the word morality is to have a system of values. To have a system of right and wrong. To understand that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. And to be able to make choices between those two. Ephesians 4 verse 24 says. And to put on the, the new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So both these scriptures tell us we were created and, and when we are being born again, then we are being renewed back into the original state which God created us, which is the original state 
of rationality and, and of morality. To think, and that's why the scripture says in Romans 12, you know, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. To, to have our thinking renewed and our thinking and rational processes be strengthened again because that's what God made us. And also to have our morality strengthened and our ability to be moral, to be moral creatures. We have a capacity for holiness, for love, for wisdom. We have a capacity to set ideals, to, to aspire to something because we are moral moral beings. Again, you can teach people about morality and it's not that that makes them moral. It's because they are moral that you can teach them about morality. We have that God-given capacity. So it's very important to understand those two things. So when you think to yourself, when you look at yourself, you have to understand, I am a person that was given a God-given ability for reason and I'm also a person that is given the God-given ability for right and wrong, and to choose, and to, uh, to love, to, to do better, to, to, to show more. And therefore, I can set my expectations on that. And when I look at other people, I should say there's more to mankind than what we so often see, the evil. Look, if man was, was, a, pro, was a product of a process of natural selection or evolution, as we commonly call it, then we don't have a basis for reason or morality. You don't, then what, like I said earlier, then what you get is what you get. Then what man does is what man does. You can't really ask them to be different. But we don't believe that. We have been given innately in us ability to reason, to, to learn, to be better in our thinking, to come up with better solutions, to come up with better answers. And we've given the ability by God to love, to be, have excellence, to set a higher standard in what we do and how we live our lives. Being moral and rational is what makes us what we call this word a person, a personal being. And again, I am a personal being with rationality and, mor and morality because God is a personal being. So God... We know if I'm made in the image of God, when I see these things in myself, I must always remember I get them from who he is. He is that personal being. I'm not having a relationship with a cloud or with a force of energy or with some created thing. I'm having relationship with the greatest person in the universe. He's a person that has an ability to reason that has an ability for morality. And my life, my personhood is, is, is a reflection of that. The fact that I can think, the fact that I can feel, the fact that I can decide is a reflection of who God is. And therefore, when we come to this question of what is mankind, it's from there that we draw our answer to say this is who mankind is. This is who mankind is. And mankind was made for a purpose. And God again tells us right there in Genesis, verse, in chapter 1, he told us why we were created. Genesis 1 verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the, of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God made us for rulership. Men and women, and, and you know, we see it right there, that 
gender, men and women, is mentioned right there in Genesis 1. It's part of the created order, is that there's men and there's women. But together we form humanity, and together we were made by God to rule over this planet. It's this amazing gift that God gave us. He, he, he created this planet with the potential for life and the potential for so much. But he didn't unlock that potential. He gave that right to us and he said to us, you go and you discover with this rationality that I gave you and with the morality that I gave you, go express it upon this, this earth and make this earth, unlock the potential in this earth and create, recreate the order that I have put in you, recreate that order in, on this planet. And that's the authority God gave us. And the, the, the picture there is a picture of gardening. When, when Adam and Eve, God put them in the garden and he asked of them to be gardeners, to be uh, ecologists, to be people that would, that would manage the animals and work with the animals and, and have build relationship with the animals and with the, with the created order and everything that he made to improve, to make it more, to make it better. Intr in, 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 intrinsic into that command is this idea of creating society and creating communities and creating nations and cultures. And God said, go and express, use your rationality and your morality to express my rulership in this earth. Rule on my behalf. Rule with me and for me on this planet. And, and that's the idea of stewardship, of management, of custodians of this planet that God created us to be. But we know, again, that we fell into sin. So today, instead of ruling in God's honor, we rule in our own honor, as I've said so many times. And in our own limitations and fallibility. And the image of God within us has been distorted. And therefore, we no longer reflect His care and love for this planet and for everyone else and for ourselves even. We reflect the brokenness. And that's why the scripture says, creation groans. It groans. It's suffering under our choice of sin. But because God made us and in, a, in, a, in His image, even though we may have departed from that and distorted that image, we can be redeemed and be restored back into that image. And that's the work that Jesus has come to do, to remake us into the image of God, to rediscover, to realign re us with the image of God that is within us, that we have not lost, but that has been disturbed and that has been distorted and damaged, to reawaken that so that we can again represent His, his image. How do we do this rulership that God has given us over the earth. We do it through relationships. It is our relational capacity that is higher particularly than any other creature on this planet. Yes, we know animals form societies. Animals have a social aspect to themselves. They, they certainly have you know, amazing ways to, to even communicate and to to create a form of their society, but they cannot do it to the level that we can. They do not have the complexity of language, the complexity of society, the complexity of innovation. Even though animals can use tools from time to time, even if animals can construct and build things like beavers can build a dam, they cannot do it to the level that we can and with the complexity that we can. And no amount of time will ever get them to the place where they can do it because they don't have that capacity that we've been given by God.
So we value that. We are amazed by that. When we see a beaver build a dam, I've had the privilege of once in North America seeing a beavers that were building a dam. It's fantastic to see. And I praise God. It makes me worship God and say, wow, God, look at what you've done. When I see the amazing uh, just things in, animal, in the animal kingdom, it makes me worship God. But I also remember what God has put us and how he's made us and how far we've fallen. But God gave us a capacity for relationship. And it's in relationships particularly where our reason and our morality comes together. And everything in this earth is about relationships. God made us for four categories of relationships or four main aspects of relationship. Relationship with God. God made us to have relationship with himself. And when we don't have relationship with God, there's a huge hole within us. It's like we no longer have the basic shape. You know, it's like if you think of a hand in a glove, for instance, and, and don't take this analogy too far, but the, the glove's shape is made to fit a hand. And if that glove no longer has a hand, it, it loses its reason for its shape and it loses its strength. And so we are, when we were made in the image of God, it's that image within us that, that gives us reason and shapes us and continues to hold us in the right shape. But when we lose that relationship with God, that shape makes no sense anymore. And we lose it. We were made for a relationship with God. As St. Augustine said, thou made us for thyself. And our heart is restless until it reposes in thee. It repose in thee. Our hearts are restless. We're looking for relationship with God. And that's why we, are, we share the gospel. Because people need relationship with God. We, we have a relationship with self. I have a relationship with myself. I have a relationship, and that's a lot of what we're talking about also. The self-image, this idea of who I am. Do I pattern that on what God has said about me? Or do I pattern that on, on the world's information and how I feel and my own thinking and thoughts? That cannot be trusted. The idea is that we find our relationship with self in God. Man was designated for a relationship with himself. Anytime there is a responsibility and challenge within that, there's also a place for self-examination. How did I do? How can I face the challenge that is before me? How can I be better? All of that is part of because God created us with a reason and morality even in our relationship with ourselves. We were made with relationship for, with others. Jesus, you know, echoed the, the, the words of the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We to reflect this, this humanity, this personhood of, of being rational and moral in our relationships with one another. And that's so often where they get tested the most, isn't it? Can we hold to that rationality of who God is and the morality according to what God has, has established? And again, this is our problem. We've deviated from God's rationality and from God's morality. And now we, we, we exercise our own and we enforce our own. And it's causing damage and harm to one another. But every now and then you do see that image of God reflected in man. Because no man is completely evil and no man is completely good. We are born in sin and we have this propensity for sin where we were originally created to innately, positively pursue righteousness. We now don't positively pursue righteousness anymore, but we have this innate ability, this, this, uh, this tendency towards sinning. Our innate ability, sorry, I should say the better. Our innate ability is towards righteousness, but now we have a propensity towards sin and harm and damage. 
We were made for relationship with others. And then the last one is we were made for relationships with a created order. God established man to represent him and to rule over this earth, not to abuse this. And we will stand accountable before God for everything we do with this planet, with the created order, with one another, with ourselves. God is a personal God. So when we fail and when we sin against him, he takes it personal. It's a personal offense against a personal God. And what we're doing with creation and how we're treating creation, it's, he takes that personal. It's his creation, but he entrusted it to us. And he's giving us the ability to correct our behavior, to change our ways. But it's mankind that needs to do that because God gave us those capacities. So therefore, the scripture ends. The last bit of scripture that I want to read is Psalm 8 verse 5. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. This is the answer to what is mankind, that you are mindful of him, that you care for him. God cares for us. He loves us because he sees the value in us that he put there. And no distortion can cause God to forget the value that we have because he created us. And he is working very hard through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit to get us to come back to the creation, the way he created us and the created abilities that he gave us. He's redeeming us and we'll talk about that down the line. But we can belong to God and that's what we're going to talk about next week. So I want you to remember, you are made in the image of God. He gave you unique capacity to reason, and he gave you capacity for morality. And so when we fail, let's not give up on ourselves. Let's not give up on, on one another, but let's remember who God made us. And so when you struggle, that's all right. When you feel guilty, when you feel shame at your own failings, that's a reflection of that you've distorted the image of God. But don't give up on yourself. Don't say there's no hope for you. There's every hope. Because in Jesus, we can be restored to that which God created us. No matter how bad our habits have become, no matter what we've done to ourselves and to others, there is forgiveness possible and restoration is possible in Jesus. Do not give up on yourself. Don't hold yourself to a lower standard. Don't settle for less. Don't worship down. Let's worship up. Let's worship God and who he made us to be. We don't worship that, but we want to live that to worship him and glorify him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you today that we can come to you and stand before you and, and through the scripture have a sense of what you see when you look at us. How you care for us and love us because you made us beautiful. You made us to represent who you are as a reflection of your glory and of your beauty. And so therefore I pray for each of us, Lord, when we feel so despondent and so hurt in our own failures and even in the failures of other people. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you will strengthen us to not let go of your plans and your purposes and your ideals, but that we would allow you to forgive us, that we will seek forgiveness, that we'll repent, and that we'll come back to that which you intended and you created for us to be. And we thank you for that today in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray for every person with me in this service today. And I trust you, Lord, that they will experience your grace and your kindness, your uplifting of them in this moment in Jesus' name. Amen.
Bless you. Look forward to being with you next week.